Father God, thank you for this morning. You are a great God. How great you are. We, we can't even comprehend that greatness, and yet we sing of it, and we know a part of it, but certainly that greatness is vast, and it's amazing. God, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity to be here and to worship with those that we love and those who you love and have called to yourself. And Father, as we open your word this morning, I pray that uh, we would hear you, and that we would know you better. We would leave here loving others better and seeing others better and knowing others better and to be able to take your word with us to them so that they too can experience the love and the joy of Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. We're returning this morning to the Gospel of Luke. And so if you want to open your Bibles and Turn with me there. We spent the last couple of weeks reflecting specifically on the resurrection of our Lord. And so this morning, we're going to return to the Gospels Luke. Last Sunday was what we call Resurrection Sunday. And although every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday in one sense, uh, last week had a special significance for us. But we're returning this morning uh, to the physician and what he wrote down concerning our Lord. And so follow along as I read. I'm going to start reading in Luke 4, starting verse 31 down through verse 37. Here's what Luke records for us. In the day he went to Capernaum, excuse me, he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. And come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. We'll stop there for this morning. Now, just as a reminder, if you glance out just a couple verses from our text, you'll recall uh, that up there in verse 21, Jesus has just made the opening statement of his earthly ministry. It was in verse 21, he said, Today, this scripture, the one that he had quoted from Isaiah, had, has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what had the prophet Isaiah prophesied? Again, this is going back a couple weeks. Well, Isaiah had prophesied back in his prophecy that the coming Messiah, and you can see it up there in verses 18 and 19, would proclaim good news to the poor, would proclaim liberty to the captives, would give sight to the blind, would set at liberty those who were oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Thus, we could summarize Jesus' ministry like this. Jesus had a proclamation ministry. He had a deliverance ministry. He had a healing ministry. And he had a liberation ministry. His proclamation ministry really could be boiled down to this. Repent of your sin and follow me. I mean, that's really the nuts and bolts of repent of your sin and follow me. Now, we can expand that a bit by saying Jesus claimed rightfully, I am the son of God. Therefore, the right response to me would be to repent of your sin, believe in me and serve me as Lord. That was his proclamation ministry. His deliverance ministry was the purpose for which he came to earth. And he said, I have come to seek and to save the lost, to give my life as a ransom for many. So he was bringing deliverance to those who were bound in their sin by defeating sin at the cross and then giving people grace and forgiveness if they would worship him in spirit and truth. He was, it was a deliverance ministry, delivering from their sin. So you had a proclamation ministry, you have a deliverance ministry, and then the rest of his ministry, uh, those other two components that we would call his liberation ministry and his healing ministry were the works, the proof, if you want to call it that, that his proclamation was true and could be trusted. So he would proclaim something, he would announce deliverance of sin, and then he would perform works to validate his message so that you knew he has the power and authority to do what he says he can do. So here in Luke 4 this morning, we have Luke's first recorded act of liberation that Jesus performed. I want to be clear about something. Uh, I want to be clear when I use the words liberation ministry because that is a word, liberation, that you will hear liberally in our culture today. In fact, most of the time when you hear liberation in the news, it's coming from a modern uh, Marxist type of background. And in very simple terms, there's a lot of nuance to this, but in very simple terms, a Marxist kind of ideology would say there's two classes of people. There are the oppressed and there are the oppressors. And so the end goal of a Marxist mentality is to provide liberty to the oppressed by dismantling the oppressors or the oppression, okay? So... You hear about all kinds of liberation movements today, like racial liberation and gender liberation, women's liberation, and so on and so forth. But when the Bible talks about setting at liberty those who are oppressed, like back in verse 18, it's talking about oppression that people endure at Satan's or from Satan's dark dungeon. It's, it's talking about 
Satan's influence and his evil, demonic presence in this world. And so, an example of Jesus' liberation ministry is being given to us this morning when Luke records for us Jesus casting out this demon who has been oppressing a man who's come to the synagogue on this particular morning. So, my caution to you is don't take modern definitions and try to read them back into the Bible. That's what we call eisegesis, reading back into the Bible. We want to do exegesis. We, we pull out of the Bible what the Bible means, not what we tell it it means, okay? If you do eisegesis, you're going to get in a lot of trouble, But if you do exegesis, you pull out of the text, you're going to align yourself with the truth of God's intent. So, there are three things that I think that we can learn from our text this morning about Jesus. And you can find them in your message notes if you want to follow along. But here are the three things. Number one, Jesus teaches with authority. Number two, he commands with power. And number three... He rescues with love. So let's start with the first one. He teaches with authority. Look again at verse 31. He goes down to Capernaum, and he's teaching them on the Sabbath. And look what it says in verse 32. They're astonished at his teaching. Why are they astonished? What is the component of his teaching that so mesmerizes them? Well, his word possessed authority. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's been driven out of his hometown of Nazareth, and it seems that he's settled here now in Capernaum. This is about 20 miles away uh, from Nazareth. This is his new temporary home. This is where Peter and Andrew have a, a home, have a house, and so maybe he's staying with them while he's here in Capernaum. And as was his weekly custom, he heads to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and we find him now teaching But his teaching is so different from what the people were used to hearing. Remember, they recognized that his teaching possessed authority. And it isn't just Luke who notices this. Matthew makes this point as well. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, For Jesus was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Mark also makes reference to this. He says, They were astonished. At his teaching, for he had taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So, what was so different about Jesus' teaching from that of the scribes of the day? Well, there's several things, and I'm going to give you a number of those things, but even before I give you those, I think it's fascinating to note that faithful preachers today can be marked by many of these same characteristics. Characteristics that stand in contrast to what Paul predicted in 2 Timothy 3, uh, 2 Timothy 4 rather. Paul said there's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
So what is it about Jesus' teaching with authority that separated him from teachers who tickle the ears? What sets apart a faithful preacher today from other modern preachers who teach to suit their own passions? I think it would be wise for you to consider these qualities because this is what made Jesus' teaching as one with authority. Let me give you five characteristics that made Jesus' teaching different. Number one, he spoke the truth. Jesus had zero fear of man. He only ever feared his Father in heaven. Therefore, because he had absolutely no fear of man, he could be free to speak the truth regardless of the consequences to him personally. He didn't set out to please man. He only set out to please his father. Scribes, on the other hand, in those days, were corrupt, and they typically tried to evade any kind of critical reasoning. They really wanted to maintain their constituency. And because they feared man, they would avoid the truth. I think a a classic illustration of this from the New Testament was when Jesus asked the scribes if the baptism of John the Baptist was from heaven or from man. They knew the truth. They absolutely knew the truth that his baptism was from heaven, but they also know that if they speak the truth, the people are going to ask the follow-up question, then why don't you believe him? And they couldn't bear that thought because that meant people might leave them. And so they avoid the question by saying, we don't know. It was a lie. They did know. Jesus never did that. He only ever spoke the truth. Why? Because he had no fear of man. He wanted people to follow him, but he wasn't out to please them. He was out to please the Father. And I wonder often how many preachers today fear speaking the truth because they're afraid that their crowd size might dwindle or that next Sunday there will be a a picket line at the front door of the church or that the newspaper might write some disparaging article about them. Jesus spoke with authority because he spoke the truth. Secondly, Jesus spoke with authority because he presented matters of great significance, matters of life and death and eternity. The scribes, on the other hand, they love to argue about trivial matters. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. Jesus talked about weighty things. 
How many sermons or Bible studies have you attended where there was a significant amount of time spent, wasted on trivial matters? (laughs) Did Mary ride the donkey to Bethlehem or not? Who cares? She made it there, right? Should you tithe on the gross or on the net pay? Who cares? The Bible says be generous. I don't care which one you tithe on. Just be generous. Should you have strings on your head covering or not? And if you do, should they be tied or untied? Entire churches have spent tons of time on trivial matters. Jesus talks about living justly with people, about showing mercy to the repentant, about being faithful to live with a clear conscience before a holy God. These are weighty matters, and the people hadn't heard it. When he spoke, he spoke with authority. Thirdly, he spoke with authority because he made it easy to understand If you go back and you look through the teachings of Jesus, you'll notice how many times he uses illustrations. He he loved to tell stories. And he used farming illustrations. And he used fishing illustrations. And sheep and shepherd, all kinds of illustrations. It made sense. The people could understand it because he, he spoke in their language. I remember my wife and I attending a funeral sermon many years ago. And we joked afterwards that it was an, an Asian sermon. Do you know what an Asian sermon is? Every other word that the speaker was speaking was damnation and incarnation and salvation and qualification and reincarnation. I don't know if the reincarnation was in there, but it was all these big Asian words. I have no idea if he actually even knew what he was talking about. I didn't know what was going on. It was hard to follow. Jesus never taught that way. When people left, they understood what they meant, and they were amazed by it. They were impacted by it. It changed them because they were forced to reckon with their own sin and with their own heart. And they had to answer the question, am I going to believe this Jesus or not? He spoke with authority. Jesus also taught with authority because he spoke as the lover of men's souls. And I love what Steve shared this morning because Jesus was genuinely concerned with their eternal welfare. Jesus didn't just blow into town collect some offering, deliver some fiery sermon, and leave. He wanted people to know the Father's heart. He wanted people to experience forgiveness and love and compassion. And so he would tell stories like the story of the prodigal son. And he would tell stories like the good Samaritan. And he would tell stories like the unforgiving servant in which the the king showed so much mercy. He would say all of those kinds of sermons in an attempt to say, yes, God hates sin. And yes, God will punish sinners, but he's also willing to forgive you because he loves you. It was the heart of the father. The scribes, on the other hand, they would just beat people down. 
In Matthew 23, Jesus says, they tie heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Jesus spoke the truth, but he was also willing to come alongside and help. He was that kind of a savior. And finally, when he spoke, he spoke with authority because he spoke straight from the Father. He didn't just endlessly quote previous rabbis. I don't know if you know it or not, but uh, scribes of those days prided themselves on never saying anything original. That was their greatest pride, never saying anything original. They would set out a problem. They would tell the people everything that every rabbi taught about that problem, and then they would just go on to the next problem, never solving any. But when Jesus came along, and they asked Jesus a question, he would give them the truth. He would answer directly from the Father. It was the final answer. And of course, people were very offended by that. They didn't like that. But Jesus knew the heart and mind of the Father. And so he spoke. Now, I recognize that not all pastors and preachers are the same, and we certainly are not Jesus incarnate. But I am surprised at how often people get offended when they ask a question and you give them a straight answer from the Bible and they try to find every way to wiggle around it and make Scripture say something that it doesn't say. Rest assured, a preacher who preaches with authority will be under constant attack. And by the way, if you are a young person here this morning, and you're considering ministry as a future goal, I am super excited for you. And I want to help you, and I want to come I wouldn't trade ministry for anything. But I just want you to know something. If you preach accurately, and if you preach authoritatively, you will come under fire. But really, why would you expect anything different from what Jesus experienced? Jesus spoke with authority. So verse 32, they're astonished. They're listening to him talk. And right here in the middle of his teaching, as he's amazing them with what he's saying from the Father, something unexpected and a little frightening happens. Verse 33, there's a man there He has an unclean demon, and all of a sudden he just yells out, Ha! What do you have to do with us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. You ever wonder, did this guy show up to the Sabbath every Sunday? I wonder if he was in the synagogue every week, or did he just happen to show up on this one particular week. Because if he came every single week, did no one else notice that he had an unclean demon? Or maybe they did, and they just didn't know what to do about it. I want you to know something. Satan and his minions 
never miss a worship service. They're watching today. They never miss a worship service. Demons are those fallen angels who gave their allegiance to Satan when Satan rebelled against God. And when God threw Satan out of heaven, scriptures tell us that one-third of the angelic hosts went with Satan. And they're evil. And today, they try to trap people in their sin. They try to sneak up and, and, and get people uh, in bondage to their sin. And they know, the demons know, that they themselves will never be forgiven. They know that their eternal destiny is in the pit of hell, the, the burning lake of sulfur. And so their goal is to take as many human souls with them as possible. And so demons will harass people. They will set constant temptation in front of people. And then when people sin, they will laugh in callous cruelty as they pour on the guilt and shame for doing what they tempted you to do. Well, this demon is in for a surprise this morning. Because when he showed up with this man, in this man, there sat Jesus. And rest assured, every single demon knows who Jesus is. And so this demon looks at him, hears him speaking, and yells out, Ha! Which means, leave us alone. Get out of here. Why are you interfering with us? And he names Jesus. By name, he says, you are Jesus of Nazareth. And then he gives his full identity. You are the Holy One of God, which is another way of saying, you are the Son of God. You know what's fascinating? James tells us that even the demons know who Jesus is and they shudder. In the Bible, only humans are stupid enough to deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Even the demons know that. And what is this demon's greatest fear? That Jesus has come to destroy him. It's interesting for me to think about that this demon seems to know the difference between the first coming and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The demon knows, wait a minute, we're not supposed to be thrown into the abyss with Satan and experience eternal torment until your second coming. So what are you doing here now? What's going on? You see, these demons know a lot and they say a lot, but they don't ever follow Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus doesn't take too kindly to be interrupted in the middle of his sermon. And so he looks at this demon-possessed man and he just says with authority, be silent, come out of him. The demon had absolutely no choice but to obey the Lord. There's not a debate between the two. They don't go back and forth. Jesus commands with power. And there must be immediate and clear obedience. So this demon does what he's told. He comes out of the man. And as he's coming out of the man, he throws him down right there in the middle of everybody. 
But miraculously, he doesn't hurt him. There's, there's no harm done. And he's gone. Demon. Man gets up, dusts himself off. He's free. If you are a believer this morning, that same Jesus lives inside your heart. And if Jesus is in your heart, he does not cohabitate with a demon. If Jesus is in your heart, a demon cannot occupy that same space. And so if you know Jesus and you love Jesus and Jesus is with you, you have never to fear a demon. Because Jesus and demons are not co-equals. They are not battling it out for superiority. Jesus is the unchallenged King of kings and Lord of lords. And the authority that he has in your life overrules Satan's every single time. And John gives you this promise in 1 John 4. He says, little children, you are from God and overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Hold on to that truth. Can demons come after you and try to oppress you? Perhaps. But one little phrase from Jesus, get out. They have to go. Which leads to our final point this morning. Jesus teaches with authority. He commands with authority. And finally, he rescues with love. Look at verse 36. They're all amazed and they said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And of course, reports start spreading around him all over the place in that surrounding region. I think you and I would be shocked too. Can you imagine if something like that happened on a Sunday morning? Can you imagine if someone was standing here preaching and some guy just lets out this guttural scream, I know who you are. And then the guy flies into convulsions as as demons exiting his body right here in the front of the pulpit. I I think we would all jump up. We'd be a little unnerved, right? It'd be a pretty unusual and amazing day. So of course they look at Jesus when this is all said and done, and they say, wow, what power, what authority. Even the unclean spirits obey him without hesitation. And it's this amazing proof that Jesus is exactly who the demon said he was, the Son of God which makes it even that much more remarkable in my mind that later in Jesus' ministries, the, the scribes and the Pharisees come along and they accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan. How absolutely ridiculous. It was just an incredible, willful rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. No one could match his power. And yet they tried everything they could to discount Jesus. Well, news about News about, the, news about that would travel in Sarasota for sure. 
news about that traveled all over the region, right? They're all talking about it. And what are the crowds most impressed by? They're impressed by the manifestations of Christ's majesty. No one had ever done this before. Their scribes had never done it. The lawyers had never done it. The teachers of the law had never demonstrated this kind of bold, raw power over unclean spirits. And so the news of Jesus' majesty makes its rounds. And that's to be expected and to be celebrated. But I don't want you to forget about the man in this story. The man who had the demon. Think about this man who has been rescued on this morning. We're never told his name. We're never told if he had a family. We're never told what happened to the man before or what happens to him after the Sabbath day. We don't know if he had a job. We don't even know how old he was. But we do know this. Jesus rescued him with love. This man was not just an object lesson so that Jesus could have the glory, although certainly that was due him. This man wasn't just a pawn in the ministry of Jesus. No, Jesus executed this act of compassion because he saw a man trapped by the influence of Satan and he sought to liberate him from the bondage of his sin because he loved that man. That same Jesus loves you. And some of you this morning may have come into this room feeling trapped by the bondage of sin, stuck in the temptations of Satan. Maybe it's not demon possession, but maybe this morning you're battling against pornography or against fornication or against same-sex attraction. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're putting up a fight against Alcohol or gluttony or self-harm, maybe anorexia or bulimia or cutting, or maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're struggling with depression or anxiety or worry and it just keeps you up night after night. Maybe you're here this morning and your struggle is with gossip, critical speech, you're an angry person, maybe you're bitter, Maybe there's a lack of forgiveness in your heart. Maybe, maybe you fail in the areas of self-control. Maybe you're a workaholic. Maybe you're just a terrible parent. Listen, friends. There is hope for you. Because Jesus rescues with love. Jesus came into the earth for that purpose to save sinners, to liberate those in the bondages of sin. His purpose was to free sinful men and women, boys and girls, people just like me and you, from the clutches of sin and Satan. And in his love for you, he went to a cross and he died for you and he rose again. 
And today he says, here's my gift. It's a gift of freedom, liberation from your sin. And he says, if you will believe in me, I will take up residence of your, in your heart. And Satan has to go. He has to leave. And not only will I forgive you, but I will actually empower you to live in such a way that you have total freedom. Freedom to live at peace with God. That's his gift to you. It's nothing short of the compassionate and wonderful love of God that we see right here given to a man who had been tormented by the demonic itself. And Jesus' love and his mercy and his compassion are just as real for you today. You don't have to suffer alone. If you will come to him and you will say, help me, he will. And on top of helping you, he will give you a community of believers who will come alongside you and support you in prayer and accountability so you don't have to battle alone. Friend, that is the gift of the church to you. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with something, tell somebody. We want to come alongside and help you and Christ will enable you. He is incomparable in his glory. Jesus teaches with authority, he commands with power, and he rescues with love. And may all the honor and the glory and the power be to him for what he's doing in your life. Will you stand with me and let's pray. What a beautiful story and not just a story but a look into the heart of our father to know that this Jesus who loves us who died for us who rose again for us who saves us this Jesus teaches us with authority he commands Satan with power he rescues us in love And Father, I just pray for myself and for every person in this room this morning who might be coming in here having seen a lot of change and growth and obedience in our lives and yet still slugging it out against this one or two or three things that just Satan just keeps throwing them there. Father God, I just pray that you would help us to know that Your presence in our lives not only initially saves us, but continues to empower us to say no to Satan, to say no to temptation, and to say yes to Jesus Christ. That grace is what gives us the ability to walk as Jesus walked. So I pray as you're changing us from the inside out, from one degree of glory to another, that we would continue to submit our lives to you. And in so doing, we would see the face of Jesus shining on each of us who love you. We thank you in Jesus' name.